hottest topic right now is AI and education. In this compilation episode, we hear views from past guests, including Darren Coxon, Chris Seal, and of course, Sir Anthony Selden. You recently wrote an article titled Seven Reasons Why Schools Are Not Ready for AI. What led to your interest in considering the possible impact of AI in education? It's probably about a year ago that I started playing around with these text-to-image AIs, like mid-journey. I think it was about a year ago, maybe slightly less. And I just stumbled on it. I don't even know how. I just maybe either saw a YouTube video or a TikTok video or something kind of recommended like to me, you know, I'll, I'll explore that. And I just thought, wow, hang on, there's something in this. There's something here. And this was before ChatGPT was released. So I was kind of already exploring it, you know, August, September, October time last year. And then ChatGPT was released in late November, early December, late November of last year. I really vividly remember just opening it up and kind of writing. And I think literally the first thing I wrote was write me an essay on the role of the witches in Macbeth. I'm pretty certain that was literally the very, very first. I'll probably go back through my history and work out what the first thing was that I, I wrote into it. And it wrote out this essay. And I thought, oh, hang on a minute. This is actually really good. You know, this is not just kind of some robot text. This is kind of quite nuanced and quite intelligent. And it brought in quotes and it brought in scene and acts. And, and it was kind of like, I mean, now I look back and I think, because I know the chat GPT style, I think it is actually quite robotic and quite generic. But at the time I thought, hang on, all of a sudden in December and January, there was all this talk, New York State banned chat GPT. And I think there was this Austin, Texas also. There were two or three states in the US that just banned it, which is complete nonsense because kids just use their phone. They've now rolled back and they are now allowing this to be used. So I think it was a combination of me starting to use it myself and my own kind of playing around with it, not introducing it into school at that point, just literally playing around with it and saying, hang on, this is really saving me time here. This is not just all kind of hype and hoo-ha and like, you know, rah, rah, rah. And all of a sudden I try and use it and think, nah, it's okay. It was like genuinely saving me time. So that plus just noise, well, not even noise, but just discussion and argument and debate in the education community, mainly through LinkedIn, which is for me is in all of these professions are interfacing at the moment, discussing, exploring and publishing and debating and arguing. Just that combination got me thinking, there is something quite significant that's about to happen. And I think there is something really significant and massive that's about to happen. You know, in the next kind of couple of years, I think we're going to see an enormous shift. So I think it was just that combination of personal use and lots of people going, I've just tried this and it's really amazing. And I try it and think, wow. And then I find something that's quite cool and I publish it and people are like, wow. And so I think there's just this collective energy, which has just been developing over the last kind of seven or eight months. But what are the potential benefits of integrating AI into education? I think, look, if you kind of go on a continuum from kind of right at the start all the way through, the first thing is that it saves time, just saves time. I mean. This school I'm working at here, that I'm working at the British International School of Tunis at the moment in their kind of fairly directly day-to-day supporting the school. The easiest sell into schools, just show a teacher how it can plan a scheme of work, how quickly it can plan lessons and how quickly it can create differentiated resources and presentations. And you're not really changing the world. It's not like you're actually changing what you're doing in the classroom, but what you're doing is you're saving teachers time. And I've noticed the teachers like, this is genuinely saving me time here. This is not just lip service. This stuff is working. And this and it's great to give teachers new ideas as well. I mean, I just, I just say, look, if you're not sure how to start a lesson, just put into ChatGPT, give me 10 interesting lesson starters for the water cycle or the witches in Macbeth or whatever, it doesn't really matter. And actually it will spit out 10 things and eight of them might be, or nine of them might be, you know, one might be an actually killer idea, like a really great hook. It's 
really starting to get very, very good if you prime it correctly to assess work. So it's really, really good at, because it's rules-based, it's like, well, this is the criteria for the assessment. This is the student's work and match them together. And what is the student doing well? And what could the student improving? Because of the nature of the natural language processing of the model, it's quite conversational. And so the way in which you can feed back to students in quite a conversational, almost friendly way, you did this really well, but these five things work on for your next essay. It's kind of, it works. That's why it's called chat GPT because it chats with you. And so I think as a tool to support assessment and support learning and support progress, really, really good. But moving forward, the single biggest impact, well, there are two big impacts, actually. The single biggest impact it will have for the teaching and learning process is that students very soon will have a really individualized, really bespoke learning mentor that knows their learning style, that knows their weaknesses, that knows when in the day they can learn best, that will know how they're feeling and will be able to adapt the learning and the instruction to suit. That will happen I mean, Carl Mega are already sort of beginning to look at that. But that I think Sal Carl would say himself that it's still very early days. You know, it's still quite basic what they're doing. But I think in time, AI will absolutely sit at the center of the student's learning experience. And they will literally look to this AI as, as like a mentor, as a guide, as a support, like a learning buddy, a learning genie, whatever you want to call it. That AI mentor will be with this student all the time. Whenever they need them, they can call them up and say, oh, hi, I'm really struggling with this. Can you help? And it will talk them through the problem. So for the first time ever, this is why I think us in education is so excited. For the first time ever, we're actually going to have proper differentiation, proper inclusion. That doesn't matter what your ability level is, you're going to have an AI which can really support you. The second thing I think which is going to be super, super important Everyone's kind of looking in that direction at the moment, in the kind of the individualized support and the instruction and the handholding. In the other direction, though, which is where I'm also looking right now, is in AI's ability to organize data, in AI's ability to kind of structure messy school data into a system which is easy to work with, to input data, to ask it questions. You know, I dropped in a load of survey data into ChatGPT. We did a student and a staff and a parent survey. We dumped, literally copy-pasted. And I asked it to analyze and sort it. And it did an amazing job. Amazing job. Within two minutes, it had read it all. These are the top 10 things that all three surveys are telling you about the school. The, the top 10 things that you need to improve about the school based on all three lots of survey data, quantitative and qualitative. It took two minutes. So those are the two areas that I think I'm most excited about because we're really, really bad at managing data in schools. We're absolutely rubbish at it. And there is no system, there's no MIS that does it particularly well either, in my opinion. They all do an okay job, but none of them are very good. And then, so there's that organization, but also this sort of bespoke support for students. Let's look at the other side of it. And what problems will AI pose to education? On the one hand, there's a fear that it just makes us all stupid and lazy. As I said right at the beginning, the, literally the first thing I wrote into ChatGPT is write me an essay about the role of witches in Macbeth. So I think there are a lot of educators that are basically saying, well, yeah, okay, but what about a student's ability to analyze and, and to write and to think and process and to absorb knowledge and to be able to kind of spit the knowledge out in a way that shows they understand that knowledge? And what's it going to do to students' abilities to collaborate and to communicate if they're locked in this AI world where they're not speaking to anybody else? And what's it going to do to the nature of bias? And it's probably founded. I think there is probably some basis in the concern. None of us know exactly where it's going to head. But at the moment, ChatGPT is trained on human data. So it's trained on the data up to September 2021. 
And Google Bard's roughly the same, although the difference with Google Bard, it's also trained on Google search data. That's the main difference between the two systems. Obviously, ChatGPT isn't. And so you've got these systems which are trained on human data. But what's, of course, going to happen in the next kind of three to five years is that these AI systems will be trained on their own data so that it'll become a bit of a loop. So the potential for these AI systems to exacerbate bias and misrepresentation and narrow-minded thinking. And as educators, obviously, we need to teach kids how to use these tools, absolutely. And we need to understand how to adapt our practice as educators. But we also need to be making the students and ourselves very aware there are dangers if kids are locked into these AI worlds where they're not interfacing with other human beings and they're only ever, you know, they get completely absorbed with, it's a bit like the film Her, the Joachim Phoenix film Her, where he's just locked in and he basically falls in love with his AI companion. I think there's that slight danger where kids maybe become to rely on these machines too much. I mean, I'm very worried, for example, about the fact that Snapchat has my AI and I've tried using it and I can see straight through it. But there could be some kids who have no friends at school and who start to kind of interface with these AIs. And maybe these AIs start to tell them things that are worrying, you know, you know, the worst case scenario, the AI tells them to do something which is really damaging and harmful to themselves. Now, I'm not saying Snapchat will do that at all because I think there's enough guardrails but there are enough open source models out there that don't have those guardrails. And what if a child starts to interface? What if they build their own AI model? They get locked into this world where their own psychoses or their own fears or their own anxieties are just compounding and compounding. That's a debate that we really do have to be having in education, because if we don't, we might find that there are some children who have their own fears and worries just compounded beyond the ability for us to be able to actually help them. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. I look at how edtech's been brought into, into education the last sort of 15 years and we put it into schools with, and as I said, we hope it's going to solve problems. Teachers aren't really trained on the platforms. They never use enough of the features. It's like iPads and devices when they put them in. They became a new shiny marketing tool to go, hey, hey, we're ahead of the, look at us, we got an iPad. But teachers aren't really trained on how to effectively use it all the time. And my worry is that the teachers, to be able to use AI effectively, we're way off the skill set. And also the aptitude for them to be able to go, actually, A, I'm interested. B, I've got the time. How do I make sure I'm using this effectively? Because, you know, you talked about the systems and us changing. We seem we can't even do it with a device that has apps on it. And by the way, I can do some things because humans are lazy. I just don't know how we're going to be able to get AI into education with the teachers. Possibly. Again, I hadn't really thought about this before, but the time aspect, I think you're absolutely right. That's probably the critical one. Teachers simply do not have the time because, you know, I mean, I remember when I was teaching full time. I mean, it is such an exhausting job. And particularly now, if you're battling student behavior like day in, day out, you get home. The last thing you want to do is start learning new stuff. You want to just switch on your Netflix and have whatever the algorithm kind of washing over you. And then weekends come and you just and then a week and a term and a year goes by and you've not learned a thing. So I think you're absolutely right. But possibly if we can, first of all, give teachers time by showing them how they can plan out their work and their schemes of work and their lesson plans using AI, 
actually could become a, a virtuous circle rather than a vicious circle in that they have enough time and then you use that time formally to learn about how they can then employ these techniques into the classroom. And the reason I say this is, this is likely to be able to happen is it's happening right now because this week, it's really interesting that we're having this conversation this week. This week in the school here, we've got AI week. So we've got AI week, not very original, but you know, it's a week about AI. It's the Ron Seal approach to marketing. I love it. Yeah, exactly right. That's what it says on the tin. The exams finished two weeks ago. Kids go off on holiday next week, middle of next week, because it's Eid next week here in, across the sort of the Islamic world. So most schools are either breaking completely or they've got a break. We're breaking completely for the summer at the end of next week. And so we've collapsed the curriculum for this week. And so we're doing project-based learning, passion projects, debating around AI, sort of ethics, some of the stuff that we've been talking about now. We've got visiting speakers coming in and they're learning basically how to use chat, GBT, perplexity, Gamma, Midjourney, Stable Diffusion, lots of different tools. But it's really interesting because the teachers over the last probably month definitely have had more time. Not all of them. I think some of them will say, well, no, I've not had any time at all. But I think some of them have had enough time to actually be able to devote some time to actually planning this. And as a result, what I'm hearing, I'm literally, it's quite interesting, just this morning, just getting emails coming through. We tried this and it worked really well. And we had an amazing debate yesterday. I've never seen so much energy. And I was in the school yesterday and it was just this buzz yesterday afternoon of all this stuff going on and they're playing with Lego robotics and they're doing coding with Python and they're looking at Unity, which for me is like the big language that all schools have to teach Unity. Python and Unity should be on every school curriculum in the same way that numeracy and literacy on the school curriculum. Those two should be compulsory across the world. That's the language of the future, those two programming languages. But it's about focus. I mean, we're all excited, right? There's no question. And it's great you can have AI week and, you know, everyone has where you get to experiment and do it. But again, it's everyone has a broad skill set. And how do I make sure that I'm intentional and focused and disciplined? I use it a lot, I say, in my business because uh, I'm seeing it. I'm trying to do it with my children as well. It's the discipline of control and also what is useful and what is not, because we can all go off and we want to try, try some fun things. And what do I look like as a frog? And then I can erase some of my brothers in the family photos. And that's obviously brilliant. And you can be lost in lots of things and you need to have a fixed kind of toolkit to go, do you know what, to be really good, this is what you should do. And, you know, are you creating anything? Because, I mean, if there isn't anything, just it's almost like levels, like this is a starter kit. Focus on doing this really well, almost get the badge, pass this, and then you get permission to kind of almost go and explore these next levels. Almost like we talk about a game, but otherwise it's easy to get distracted. You're absolutely right. I think um, there are so many applications now. It's like the app store was when the iPhone was first came out, like 2007, 2008. The iPhone was released and then within about a year, the SDK opened, uh, the software development kit opened, and it just went ballistic. But 99% of it was garbage. I mean, absolute rubbish. We downloaded these apps and we played with them for like five minutes and we thought, well, this is rubbish. I think the same things happen with AI. So if you look at 90% of the stuff that's out there is built onto GPT 3.5. So the foundation of ChatGPT, because you've got ChatGPT, which sits on the top, but actually the foundation is OpenAI's GPT 3.5 model with the API. And so you've basically got all of these essay writing and blog post writing and correction and this and that, blah, blah, blah. And they're all basically built on 3.5, which you can get for free. 
And so 95% of the stuff that's out there right now, you just, we ignore. And I've said this to the teachers, play with it if you want to, but don't bake it into your workflows because next year probably won't even exist. They'll have come up with a solution to a problem that wasn't even there. What I've said is you need to just focus on three or four. Just focus on three or four. Focus on chat GPT for yourself. Don't focus on it for your students because they need to log in with a phone number and it's really, really hard to do that. So don't say to all of your kids, you need to be using ChatGPT. They can use it at home, but in the lesson, it's actually problematic to use ChatGPT at the moment. I think it's going to change because they're going to come up with some sort of group commercial licenses, I think, for ChatGPT. I think it won't be long before you can have an education version that you sign up to. I think that will come maybe for September. I'm not sure, but I'm thinking probably that's the way their thoughts are going. Because the institutional adoption of ChatGPT is impossible. It's, you sign up as an individual, not as a group. So I think ChatGPT for planning, for assessment, for idea generation, for whatever, use ChatGPT. In the classroom, perplexity for me is the best tool right now because it's got GPT-4 baked into it. And it's just a really nice, clean, simple, well-controlled interface that enables you to kind of move off into different directions, like I was saying at the beginning. Put in a prompt and it gives you the response. And then it will say, consider this, 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 and this. It pushes you down different avenues and you can explore different things. So it kind of maybe works in the way a teacher would work. Maybe consider this, or how about looking at that? Or I found this website that you might want to look at. So it's a really nice, and the kids love it. The primary school kids call it Plexi, which is quite sweet. So they even have a name for it and they all use it and they all really, really like it. So I think Gamma, it can be okay. Bing Chat, I think is quite useful for like quick searching on the internet. I think Gamma is a fantastic. I use Gamma every day for presentations. Gamma is like amazing. I think the guys at Gamma are doing a brilliant, brilliant job. I'm actually working with the development team at the moment, helping them just to develop one or two sort of features that will be useful for education. But it's free. They give you loads of free AI tokens so you can have a proper play with it and, and, and really get stuck in. And honestly, that's about it. A mid-journey, I use mid-journey, or stable diffusion if, if you want an online version of text-to-image. I would say 90% of what my teachers and students are doing now is based on probably four applications. I just don't think you need any more than that. You've written a book exploring AI as the fourth educational revolution, which I'm most keen to talk to you about. First of all, what were the first three educational revolutions? Well, I mean, you can take your pick, can't you? But to me, it's the beginning of learning when the earliest human beings began to learn from each other about how to cook, how to make clothes, how to grow crops, how to look after animals, how to pass on understanding and wisdom. The second is the beginning of organized learning in schools and universities schools first, and that's associated with the settling down of nomadic tribal peoples and the settling down in communities, the beginning of cities, the beginning of farming in set areas, and the passing on of skills in organized institutions, knowledge about crops, knowledge about law, knowledge about financial systems. And so that maybe 5,000 years ago, maybe 8,000 years ago. And the third revolution is the beginning of mechanized learning, maybe 500 years ago, there with the printing press and the mass production of books and the sense that you need to have a industrialized process, factory process for the churning out of people who are then going to be 
productive for the economy and productive defending the country at times of war. So uh, those are the earlier revolutions, and we're still very much living in that third revolutionary model of a factory model of education being done to young people with the passing on of a set of knowledge and requisite skills rather than something that is more being done for young people. And the fourth education revolution is the use of technology, which itself is capable of learning and is capable of overcoming the five traditional problems that I see with that factory model, which include the fact that every child of a certain age has to move forward in pretty much every subject at the same pace at the same time, when clearly one size doesn't fit all, and that the learning has to be on quite a narrow range of topics and organized in a school day, when clearly some people learn better at different times. AI revolution poses the huge question about what is human intelligence? What does it mean to be human when this technology can do so many of the things that the third education model was training young people to do, to be, including even manual skills, as well as cognitive skills. The technology will be a thousand million times quicker, 10 million times quicker, quantum computing speeding the process even more. And what then is left for the human beings? And the third education model is teaching young people to do precisely the things that the computers will always be able to do better and quicker. That's what the book was about at the time, rather like when I was talking about 20 years before that, about mental health and the need to teach young people to learn how to live, to develop the habits and the skills of being able to manage their lives. I think the book, as far as anyone even noticed it, was thought to be rather futuristic. And you talk about it being futuristic. Interesting, since you wrote the book, obviously generative AI has become mainstream and accessible. I mean, even causing Hollywood to go on strike with concerns for their jobs. What is the big deal? We've had to deal with technology for generations now. Yes, it's getting greater in terms of accessibility, in terms of its power. I think the human, you talked about mental health in there as well. They are inextricably linked. The amount of technology we have access to, the power it controls over us. What is the big deal with generative AI? The big deal is that it is different. The earlier technologies were human-fed, were the servants. The new generative AI can become the masters, even if the generative AI is only based on existing human knowledge. It can compute it at a rate and access it at a speed that no human mind can do. And therefore, it is able to do things that the earlier technologies in the classroom and outside were unable to do. It is able to personalize work for students, discovering their particular needs and presenting material in an individualized, personalized way that will best suit their learning needs, that it will be able to give formative assessment in real time, that will diagnostically be able to help them learn. It is altogether a completely different to other forms of technology. It's not ice into water into steam. It's ice into granite. It's just qualitatively different. And we have to be able 
to embrace it and be able to ensure that we are able to milk it and ensure that it is the servant of the most of all students and indeed adults, and in particular the most vulnerable, and that the edtech companies who would willingly sell their souls and their grandmothers for more profit and for being able to beat their competitors, that all they say about having deep human values at heart, it's all piffle. They haven't. Of course they haven't. Why should they? They're not behaving rationally if they do in any way other than a PR way. That real human beings have to, who understand and know about this, have to help ensure the technology is for the benefit of the many. So that's why I set up together with colleagues something called the Born Epson Protocol. Came out of a conference at Epson where I'm currently the head in uh, May 2023. And this is a state independent cross age grouping of professionals who themselves understand. It's not that we think that parliament malign or government malign. It's just that parliament government won't ever move at the speed or have the involvement of teachers. This is led by the professionals. There's a heads group on it and there's a practitioners group who are full of deeply experienced teachers and school leaders who understand uh, what's happening. And there's also another panel there that has the heads of the exam boards on it, because that's clearly going to be very important. And that's chaired by Lord David Buttonham. It's got a specialist panel of those people who are right at the cutting edge of the science of AI, led by two people, Roger Taylor, Sherry Kutu. There's a politician's panel, cross-party, of course, uh, etc. So it's a huge struggle. And a struggle is completely the right word to ensure that these technologies, which are magnificent in potential, are there to stretch young people, to help them become deeply fascinated and curious about the whole realm of human experience in a way that those ancient systems that I talked about uh, were capable at best of doing, but which our own mechanistic, heavily cognitive based insistence on left brain learning, which is important, clearly very important as any part of what it means to be an educated person, that other forms of learning are privileged and prioritized. And in particular, it's for the most vulnerable who have often been left behind by the third education revolution, not just in the United Kingdom, but in every single country. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. Do you think we've just gone past the point of no return? I'm a massive avid technologist, but I also really believe that everything's done through behaviour and the way that humans interact with things. The way that AI has come around, the way that we put technology into schools, I don't think any of it's really fixed anything. I think we're caught with our children being caught with 24-7 addictions to devices. They have more content that they can consume ever. It's become a, this world of content chaos is overriding everyone's ability to think because we're all addicted. And do we ever think that there's going to be a time that we can really train teachers and education could shift? Well, surely we've got to get them the teachers involved in understanding this technology, but then themselves 
don't have enough time to really learn. And it's the power of the few. I mean, AI really is in the power of the few. We're just slaves now to something that's been let out the bag. Okay, so we can't put it back in the bag. But with Oppenheimer, a film I would have mentioned as a favourite film, but I haven't yet seen it. Neither indeed have I seen Barbie either. So two treats in store. But the film Oppenheimer is in part about the whole battle to ensure that another cat out of the bag, nuclear weapons, can be used for the benefit of civilization and in nuclear energy, which of course is very controversial itself. We can see how that power of technology has been harnessed. But by the way, it's going to be a lot harder to harness AI because it's in everyone's hands, not in the hands of the few in, in governments. But nevertheless, the same process there of how you ensure that the technology is for the benefit of the many. Now, there are a lot of people, perhaps one, Simon, who are highly skeptical about AI and say, look, really made no difference at all. To which I'd say, well, of course it hasn't. But that's because we're still in the pre-dawn phase. It's only 4 a.m. in the morning. The sky has not even begun to start to flicker into light. Remarkably short amount of time, AI will become something that young people are able to benefit from. Remember that it significantly bypasses teachers because it does become teacher in a way that we might not like, but that we can't stop because people will be able to engage with this, move at their own progress, particularly at STEM subjects, but not just STEM subjects. And therefore, we have to rethink the role of the teacher as the mentor, as the pastoral carer, as the guide, as the person who brings in the human dimension. And schools need to change to be thinking much more about what human intelligence is, what the multiple intelligences are, for example, that the much derided Howard Gardner has spoken about, how schools can become places that develop all those intelligences. And by the way, employers, employment need the human intelligences every bit as much as the linear cognitive intelligences championed by exam boards and by governments and uh, by Ofsted. And you, know, you can see that transition in the work of the brilliant Andrea Schleicher, who is a visionary, and the OECD, who is trying to define all kinds of ways of broadening a sense of how you measure a more holistic appreciation of what education actually means. So it's coming, Simon. Luckily, everyone listening to this, if there indeed will be, that we can all be there shaping through groups like the Bourne Epsom Protocols and got a website, but through other very likely better groups that you might be belonging to, that we can help shape the emerging technologies as indeed they emerge, convincing the ed tech companies that it has to be not infantilizing young people, making their life just convenient and easy. Much of what makes life worthwhile is struggle. Look at sport. What would sport be if it wasn't a, a struggle? Look at the things that young people say that they find most rewarding. It is overcoming difficulty that the technologies are used to help deep learning, but breadth of learning, emotional learning, as well as um, cognitive learning, which is really important, but which will also be precisely 
but learning that the algorithms will always be able to do better. I mean, for goodness sake, it's nearly 30 years since an AI-facilitated machine beat the world's top chess player. I mean, that was a warning that we didn't really perhaps take seriously enough. And then it beat early this century the best player at the much more interesting and humane game of Go, which is much more based around not win-lose like chess, but win-win. And it even excelled at that because it will always be able to outsmart humans, but not in the full range of what it means to be human. So at best, this is going to enrich education, enrich teaching, enrich pastoral care, enrich the lives of being students, but only if we get ahead. So there's no bigger issue in today's world than AI and how we, we, not edtech companies, we, not legislators, we, not government, although working with all of those three, can ensure that we shape these technologies genuinely in the interests of all. How do we get ahead with the unchanged teacher training? Because there's obviously a decrease in the interest of people wanting to go you know, into teaching as the old vocation where they are impacting the lives of these young people and making a difference. You kind of have to have a, it feels like a master's in technology because if you're not an expert in it, and don't have a grasp of it, you can't really make sure that the kids that you're teaching or stewarding through education are going to use it effectively or appropriately. Do you feel that we do need to train teachers differently? And do you feel that teaching as a profession is not that attractive anymore because of technology? Okay, so did you need a master's to be able to operate this Zoom technology today? Did you? Well, I have a master's in IT, so I'm, I actually don't know whether or not that actually, but I get your point. Of course, you don't need to be a master. Look, you know, I'm one of the least technologically sophisticated people. I've, I mean, I love science, intrigued by it. No good at it, no good at maths, it never was. But I get what it does and I can see how it works. Technology will become simpler and simpler to understand. Teacher training needs to be about understanding human human beings, human interactions, human empathy, human intelligence, only by doing those things that we will save education, save planet, save humanity. Now, look, I don't think AI is going to extinguish the world, although I think AI weapons are pretty dangerous. The risk is much more infantilization. It just makes life incredibly easy. There's no need to do anything. So we can just sit on our backs all day watching endless quiz shows on television. And you know, that's not what human life is about. And we need rigor. We need challenge. Um, but if the technology can help those people who feel alienated from the current education system because they don't have the, or don't think they have the intellectual gift or maybe the peace of mind, the mental health to be able to access it, or maybe the stability at home, all those currently excluded can be included in all of this. And the bell tolling there is not tolling for the death and end of humanity, but could be a new tolling for a new wedding, a marriage of humanity with this technology that can help uh, bring in this fourth education revolution, which will be more rewarding for more people if we get it right. But we have to get it right. And we'll get it right by concentrating not on the depersonalized, mechanized, electronized technology, but understanding what it means to be fully human. I want you to look into your crystal ball 
what do you think the future of education is going to be in 2050? The fundamental change will be what the fundamental change over the last 25 years, which is that technology will continue to change what's in front of us. Where that goes and how it goes, I have absolutely no idea. I mean, we're all talking about chat GBT at the moment and how we harness it, I hope. You know, that's certainly the conversation we have is not whether we should push it away, but how we harness it and use it as best we can. I'm sure that in another 25 years, that will have changed yet again in a way that I certainly wouldn't profess to understand. I'm hopeful, I think, teachers and people are still the key part of the process because you know, go back to something you just said. That was interesting what you just said about accountancy. And I get where you're coming from that, you know, AI can probably do accountancy, but it but it can't necessarily look at something like, for example, cost savings in a human way. It can run the numbers and find out where you can make efficiencies, but it can't necessarily make those decisions for you. Maybe it will, you know. It would easily be able to provide you with a framework to get to a quicker decision to have a conversation and then show you how to manage it, you know, and actually give you development. So I, th- I think the technology, those things can do. But I'm with you on people, by the way, and that's always been centre of every argument I've had on the future of education is people. Technology is a lever, it's an enabler, and it's, we're not going to see it slow down anytime. We're all going to break. Great schools will bring the right technology in, you know, how do you introduce ChatGPT? You know, some schools are, we're not. Others are going, right, we've got to flip our learning. We've got to teach kids how to use it properly. And we're very much in the latter camp that I think, you know, technology like that comes along, you've got to understand the potential pitfalls, but you've got to use it and utilise it. And hearing the other day that in at least a couple of our lessons already, we're having students critically analyse what's coming out of ChatGPT. I mean, you know, what a great way to learn, you know, that you're given a stimulus that you can get into. I think you're absolutely right about, you know, AI stuff, but I also think, and I'm hopeful that it will focus on what people do really well. You know, what AI arguably won't do is inspire people to go on and do things. And I think that's really, if you think about what's going on in schools right now, as tough as education is in some respects, you know, good teachers, great teachers inspire people about, can be about the subjects, it can be about the types of things they might want to do in the future, as we've talked about with futures or university guidance. It can be just inspiring in terms of human interaction and actually understanding that people work on a particular level. And when you go back and certainly, I'm, I suppose I'll be 50 next year, so I'm starting to reflect on my career and where it's going, what you end up remembering are all the people that made a big difference and all the people that had an impact on how you feel. And I think that's what makes a difference. You know, sometimes it's quite hard to rationalise why you end up doing things, why I've been a teacher for 20 plus years. Um, But I suppose when I think about it deeply, it's about how Mr. Lane made me feel in history all those years ago. Yeah, how my PE teachers made me feel when things were going well on sports field. Yeah, how I felt by being successful at certain things uh, through my academic career. So everybody's different, but I I suppose that's what I've been reflecting on uh, recently is that that human interaction, that human connection, uh, I'm hopeful that that will be the thing that we really begin to remember as being the key part of schools. And yeah, you're right. Technology is a great enabler. It offers us unbelievable opportunities. But wouldn't the world be a sad place if we didn't have those distinct memories of how other people made us feel? You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.